Welcome to the Online Frogcast. I'm Carice Hedrick. And I'm Brett Johnson. And we're both anti-fraud experts. But with very different sets of experiences. I've been in the anti-fraud space for well over a decade, working with hundreds of the biggest online companies in the world to help them prevent payment fraud. And prior to several years ago, I was a fraudster. I committed several different types of fraud online, ended up on the United States Most Wanted list, spent some time in prison, and since that point, I've dedicated my career to helping businesses and consumers protect themselves against people like I used to be. And we are T-minus two weeks until our uh, live recording of the online broadcast at CMP Expo. Woo! I'm, <laughs> I'm nerve-sighted, as my daughter would say. I'm both nervous and excited. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's going to be good, though. No, it is. You and I have a lot of fun things planned. I'm very excited about it, actually. But as it gets closer and closer, I mean, to anyone who thinks I don't get nervous about stuff, psh. <laughs> I had an interview um, with a producer from an NPR show um, a couple weeks ago, and I was texting with one of our listeners and one of my merchant friends. Yeah, yeah. And I said, oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it wasn't recorded, but it was he was amazing. He was really sweet. Very nice guy. He had a lot of questions about chargebacks. And, you know, that's my favorite subject. So you I had the answers. You have moved up to the big leagues. Well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, I will the podcast because that lovely listener or uh, lovely producer found uh, my podcast on chargebacks Jeez. and listened to it and gave me a call. And he had some questions about a specific company that may not be handling chargebacks very well publicly, which notes to other merchants out there. And that starts happening. People take notice, especially if you have an attitude of, you know, you don't care if chargebacks are issued or if you're doing things to cause issues. It's kind of too big to fail, as they say. But he also just was genuinely interested. And you know me, I love to share information to anyone that's genuinely interested in that stuff. So it was fun. But I was texting with my friend before and was like, oh, my gosh, I'm so nervous. And she goes, you get nervous? Are you kidding me? Yes. Uh. <laughs> it just it doesn't mean I don't do it. It just means I get a little bit of, ah, there's a combination of imposter syndrome and anxiety happening. I do it anyway. And it's fun. And it was awesome. I mean, I could have totally been freaked out about the experience and said no, I'm glad I said yes. And I was able to introduce him to someone else that was helping that helped him had some information to help his story. He's going to come meet us at CMP now because he lives in the Bay Area. So sweet. Yeah, I know. We actually have several, we won't name them all, but several national publications coming to listen to it, watch us live and then interview us after. So we're pretty excited. And we definitely have our loyal listeners who have made this podcast successful to thank because, you know, if you guys didn't listen to us, we probably would have stopped a while ago. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. You may not have let me. But <laughs> I would have been less enthused to like wake up early and do this or do it on the weekends or whatever it takes. <laughs> but also speaking of us kind of stepping, you know, our podcasts in general, stepping up into the big leagues, we now have online broadcast merchandise. We do. What do we have? <laughs> we have t-shirts. We can also get the logo done in on a sweatshirt, on a hoodie, and on a die cut sticker for Sweet. your laptop or you know, where your car if you want to do it. And I have to give you some credit in a good way because <laughs> I really <laughs> you and I have fought on this for like weeks because I really was uncomfortable with having my face on people's t-shirts. <laughs> I was just like, God, people are gonna think I'm so like full of myself or something. But you said no, and you had this vision, and it without giving too much away, I'm wearing a superhero cape, and you are wearing you know a, a jail outfit. I don't really know what that's called, but like the stereotypical one, not actually. Yes. Stripes. Stripes, right. <laughs> that was your idea. I want everyone to know it was not me saying I deserve a superhero cape and Brett deserves this identification. She did say that but, too. I'm just playing along right now. Uh, um, yeah, yeah, totally my idea. 
Do you know how weird it was to like ask an artist, can you draw me with a superhero yeah, cape? I and want a cape partner... and tights. <laughs> right, exactly. But I did it because not only did you say that that was the right option, but a few other people that I trust that I asked also did people in marketing and a couple people in fraud and other stuff. So I believe that there's just not enough fun fraud t-shirts or swag out there. And so we made a what the fraud shirt with your favorite co-hosts of, you know, the biggest podcast in fraud. Not that that's a huge list, but we are grateful to be at the top. <laughs> and yeah, so it's on Teespring. I will put the link in the show notes I'm in the description of the show. And it'll also be on our LinkedIn's and stuff like that this week, just in time for CMP Expo. And if you'll remember, if you used our online broadcast promo code, we will be bringing t-shirts to you at the show. I'll probably be mess- reaching out to people soon to get their t-shirt sizes. So we are in a different league now, but I think it's fun. I'm really looking forward to ordering one of the stickers and putting it on my laptop. So every time I'm at a coffee shop, people are like, wait, what? <laughs> does she really have a sticker of herself? <laughs> I think she does. I think that's her. <laughs> I need to own it, I guess. Um, <laughs> but no, we're really excited to meet, every, you know, see everybody. I know there'll be a lot of familiar faces at CMP, but there's also gonna be a lot of new ones too. We're super excited about it. Because I am on staff, I get to see the registration list ahead of time. So I'm very lucky about that. And we'll be sending out an email to everybody that is, this is actually news to Brett sort of, but we'll be sending out an email to everybody who is registered for CMP Expo that are identified as merchants asking for some participation for one of our segments for our what the fraud segment at the live event. So Yeah, so that'll be fun. I got clearance on that from the marketing team. They thought that was a fun idea. So I've got to put that together today or tomorrow. I have a to-do list, like (laughs) the the length of the Empire State Building right now um, for the next two weeks. But I'm going to get it done, and that's going to feel really good. And then I'll have a new to-do list afterwards. I've pretty much put life on hold for the next two weeks as much as I possibly can, aside from like a haircut and a pedicure. (laughs) (laughs) to get prepared for all this and we're really looking forward to it and brett's going to be there for the whole week too so that's something that honestly he doesn't get to do for most of the events that he speaks at most of the time you know i know you stay as long as you possibly can but sometimes you're just in and out in a day well and and let's be fair i mean i i got my start with with you you came in and basically convinced the CNP group to bring me in as a speaker. And I'm very grateful for them and I'm extremely grateful for you, but you were the one that did that. And you know, I owe a lot, try to give back to that community that, that helped me get started with this speaking and consulting. And I think it, it would be a good fit for me to come in and just spend, you know, three or four days there talking with anyone that would listen to me. So <laughs> we'll see. As long as you don't introduce yourself as, hi, I'm the criminal. Again, to all the vendors, those poor people looking at you like, what? Wait, what? I mean, it was kind of funny, but also <laughs> I think I think we've grown from that. You know, I, still, I did that at the Denver Sheriff's uh, Conference oh, that I gave uh, like two weeks ago. I walked up, hi, criminal. You are. <laughs> Jeez. We should get you one of those. Hello, my name is. Yeah. I've, I've actually got a little a little plastic name tag that I sometimes put on that says Brett Johnson, cyber criminal on it. So, but that. whenever you would say that to people and I'd be with you, I'd be like, former, former, <laughs> former criminal. Like, let's be clear here. Like, yeah, yeah, former, yeah, yeah. Former, I know you love to get a rise out of people, but <laughs> I, do. I do. I like that face because they, they, they first they don't think they heard you quite correctly. Right, what? criminal, criminal here, criminal. I'm the criminal. <laughs> so it's it's all about the facial expressions at that point. <laughs> You're just like messing with people. Um, I don't usually say this very often, but those poor vendors. <laughs> and I I have a feeling I just cracked a smile on a couple of vendor faces too. So you guys know I'm not I'm not anti you. It's just you know usually I'm not saying that. I think it's a really awesome opportunity because people can pick your brain and. You know, get to know the person that I know who's pretty awesome. Sure, and you know what would be even better? So so you and I are both going to be there. So mm-hmm. we can have some little bitty little little meetings with people, you and me talking to them about whatever you could do, the good side of things, and I'll do the bad side of things. And it'll <laughs> really good at that point. I would love to do that, and I hope that I can. In addition to our keynote, Carice is also leading five of the six fireside chats. Shout out to 
badass Brittany, I'm not going to say your last name, who is doing the sixth fireside chat for me because we have the biggest interview of our lives with one of the biggest newspapers in the world at that same time. But I'm doing five fireside chats, which are when merchants in different verticals, what did I have? Travel and ticketing and retailers and, you know, digital goods, things like that, get together and talk with their peers. I'm doing those. I'm doing... I'm moderating a session on using compelling evidence for chargebacks, of course, and I'm facilitating two workshops, one for merchants only and one for women that I'm super excited about. And I'm hosting the women's breakfast and we have three or four media interviews. So there's a slight chance that Carice won't be able to join those meetings. I would love to more than anything, but I also know, I know, but I also know that we've been talking about providing that service for a fee as well. And that doesn't, that actually... First reminds me, I want to make sure I say this before going into that point, that we have not forgotten, I have not forgotten about picking winners of our contest a month ago for that, for that opportunity over the phone. The over the phone thing's going to have to be after CMP, unfortunately. Thanks for bearing with me, guys. But I have different lists everywhere. I just have to get them together and select them. So we might be able to do a couple of those if the winners are at CMP. The rest will have to be over the phone. I also know that we've been talking about providing that service like on an hourly basis for people. Like if they want to pick your brain and my brain at the same time, providing that for for a fee. Um, a lot of people don't realize that we do the podcast, you know, actually it costs us money right now. Um, we are going to be doing advertising soon. And I know a lot of companies want to advertise with us. Our our agent would like us to be a little bit bigger before that happens. Uh, it, and we love doing it. So this certainly is a complaint for stuff like that other than for contests and stuff. And, you know, at events and stuff like that, we'll probably have to, you know, start charging a little bit, but we'll make it really worth your while. But all that said, you know, shoot, if you can grab Brett for a few minutes, <laughs> take well, I, it. I just want to say, I want to go on record right now that if you are, if you're going to be busy with these fireside chats, you can expect a few of them to be crashed. I'm just saying, I'm just, I'm throwing I'd that out there. Be, I think that everyone would be okay with that. You are the one non-merchant that I would totally allow to come in. Which is kind of funny, right? Because it could be seen as a fox in the hen house. I'll but... get me a little bald wig, a little mustache. Oh, guys, yeah. I'll like do the that. Groucho maybe, marks. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Maybe a moo-moo, something like that. Oh, God. <laughs> you don't have to go that far. I will let you in. Oh, I'm going on record and it's recorded. I think that that would be a service to people. I mean, the hard thing is it's only a half an hour for people to ask their competitors questions. However, it's a great opportunity for them to see their competitors and go, okay, I'm going to go like meet up with them later. Or I'm going to track them down, you know, at lunch. Or I'm going to go sit with them here, or whatever. Right. So that's more, you know, it gives you kind of a taste of that and meet each other all in one spot so i mean we could literally do fireside chats for three hours of vertical um i've you know been able to work them in in between in networking breaks and anyone who's going there will be a schedule for that on your app as well as on the board in the back of the expo room um, or the expo hall when we get there because i just created the schedule last week so i know it exists (laughs) (laughs) i know the schedule because i created it I know it's really, really weird to be getting emails both as a keynote, like for interview requests and stuff from our PR department, and then also being like part of the operations of the of the conference. Oh, yes. um, but it's also fun too because you know I really know what to expect. <laughs> I better, but I also keep saying I better not get sick. Oh my gosh, I got to knock on some wood right now. <laughs> that was me knocking on my desk because <laughs> I am not getting sick. Intro banter done. Um, we are really looking forward to it, and we're putting a lot work into it so we hope you guys are looking forward to it too and now you can wear online broadcast t-shirts <laughs> and hopefully your spouse doesn't refuse to go out in public with you when you wear them like my husband did when i had a fraud t-shirt from a conference that said virtual crime fighter on the back <laughs> i'm not going out with you in public <laughs> yeah and i said okay well then you don't get to wear your polygamy porter shirt from utah oh, there you go there you go <laughs> so those were our sleep shirts <laughs> <laughs> around the house but of course i'd you know wear it around the house just to mess with him but it'd be like oh may i go to the grocery store <laughs> like what <laughs> that's how i am but we have a few topics we want to make sure that we cover this week that are kind of top of mind so the first one comes from the headlines and the next two come from merchants who have reached out to me this week all right why don't you go ahead and it's almost like you know you're at the news desk yeah <laughs> doing some headline music. See, we, what? Can't, we can't afford real sound effects, so I'll just do it like that. <laughs> well, we all know that we have a you know a built-in laugh track over here. 
yeah. <laughs> you know how many times I've had comments in emails or on phone calls talking about your your laugh lately? Like I'm like, yeah, does he sound like the creepy quiet guy in the corner? <laughs> Someone sent me a message the other day talking about that. I don't know why. <laughs> it was probably from the podcast. <laughs> probably was. Probably was. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, so you know, one of the things I've been I've been bitching about since I've started speaking is that cybercrime is not getting smaller; it's just getting bigger. So last year we had Alphabet shut down. Alphabet was shut down July fifth of last year. Actually, Our, it was a year and a half ago. It was almost two years now. Because wasn't it twenty seventeen? No, no, it was twenty eighteen. It was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How okay. time flies when you're having fun. I guess. I guess. I thought, yeah, something like that. You know what? You, now you've got me. Now I have to confirm that. I'm going to be like, oh, no. I'm actually doing the same thing. I thought it was right after your first. Let's yeah, see. sorry. 2017. I, I was Alpha. not incorrect. Yeah. There we go. Okay, so 20. Because, you know, my husband refuses to say I'm I'm right, so he says you are not incorrect. All right, all right, all right. Let's, let's get it on the record. I was wrong. Carice was right. Oh, I'm going to set that as my ringtone. Thank you. <laughs> no, no, no. It's all good. Time, again, to your point, time flies when you're having time fun. Time flies when you're having fun. The so, last two years of your life, my friend, have been yeah. extremely busy. So I give you credit. I just, I remember it being like a really big deal right after CMP because you were like, oh, that, that was actually, honestly, that was a huge source of information for you to help one of your clients Absolutely. Um, that I introduced you to for right. consulting. And when it went down, you were like, crap. <laughs> yep. Like, what so are we going to do now? That's but I why was not I the it, only yeah. person that said crap. Every criminal right. on the planet said crap. At, uh, it was shut down July 5th of last year. At that point in time, it was the largest criminal network on the planet, 240,000 members. And how times have grown. When I was committing fraud, when I was running Shadow Crew, we ended at 4,000 members. That was uh, October 26, 2004. We ended with 4,000 members. So la- uh, 2017, the site ended, Alphabet did, with 240,000 members. Well, guess what? I've been bitching, bitching since I've started speaking that, you know, it's not getting smaller. It's just going to continue to increase. These numbers are going to get larger and larger and larger. To illustrate that, this past week, Wall Street Market, which was another dark web or dark net criminal marketplace, it got shut down. It ended with, guess, you want to take a guess how many members it ended with? Guess, 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 guess. Ah, I actually knew this. It was it was well over a hundred thousand. Well over a hundred thousand. Wasn't it like four hundred or? Well, there were one point one million consumer accounts registered on that site. Oh, geez, <laughs> I thought you were talking about users. <laughs> well, users were still kind of up in the air with that. I would okay. I would suspect to give you an idea when Alphabet uh, yeah when Alphabet ended they ended with around seven hundred thousand wallets. So there were 700,000 consumer accounts on there for two. Okay, that's what I was thinking of. Okay. So with uh, Wall Street Market ending with 1.1 million consumer accounts, I would imagine that we're looking at 350,000, 400,000 members on that. And those, right. So that 1.1 million is the consumer accounts that are victims, not consumer accounts that are using the site, right? No, no, no. Those are consumer accounts that are using the site. Oh. 1.1 registered users. Oh, wow. Okay, I thought that, that was data that they were. Oh, geez. Now, now, now we've already seen. There's been a couple of instances of. So what happens is when you're running a dark web marketplace, these marketplaces are set up for one specific reason, and that is to steal the money of the consumers or the criminals that are using that site. All right, that's why they're built. Now the marketplace itself, it exists as kind of a natural extension of what I like to call the larger communication channel. See, in order for cybercrime to be successful, you have to have three things. Those three things are you have to gather data, you have to commit a crime, you have to cash out. The reason the forums, that large communication channel, the forum, exists is so that a criminal can network with other criminals. He can buy product from criminals that are selling a good product. He can learn from other criminals. The reason the marketplace exists, which is separate from the forum, is it's kind of a natural extension. It's a logical extension of that larger communication channel. Mm. You don't have to have it, but it makes crime much, much easier to commit if you have the marketplace there. Okay? Because you can learn about it on the forums and then buy data on the marketplace, Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Okay. So what we saw after Alphabet, we saw that a lot of criminals, the more experienced criminals, they started to, at least subconsciously, a lot of them consciously realized, hey, we don't need the marketplace. Instead, we can conduct business over Wicker, Jabber, 
Telegram, WhatsApp, any number of smaller and smaller encrypted messaging channels. Okay, mm. so that that's that's been the 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 way things are are trending currently. But that doesn't mean that these marketplaces are going anywhere. And to illustrate that, Wall Street Market, which was has been in operation since 2013, what goes on is last week. So Dream Market was one of the larger larger marketplaces. It shuts down. Now, there's some questions whether Dream Market was a honeypot for law enforcement or if it was just, you know, being blackmailed and the, the, the owners decided it's time we leave. But Dream Market shut down. They gave everyone, their most everyone, their Bitcoin back and everything else. So most of that traffic starts to migrate to these other marketplaces. And one of the big marketplaces they migrated to was Wall Street Market because Wall Street Market had been up since 2013. It was a long-lasting market. But what you what tends to be forgotten here is why these marketplaces are set up by the owners to begin with. They're set up so the owners can eventually steal the Bitcoin from the criminal users because who are the criminals going to complain to? Nobody. Mm. So what happens is, is Wall Street starts to exit scam, which that's what that's called. They shut down the yep. site. They start to steal the money. So, and we started seeing these transfers. You know, we start, saw one wallet with $52 million in it. $52 million worth of Wow. Bitcoin. So we saw all this stuff. They're stealing it from their users. From, from their users. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Now, it turns out, now there were three admins over there. Evidently, the admins did not include all of the moderators in the cash-out scheme, even though some of the moderators knew it was going to go on. Oh, boy. Oh, yeah. One of the moderators went by the name Medellin, except it was spelled with a little hacker spelling. But he went by the name Medellin. He was from Sao Paulo, Brazil. Now, they cut this dude out. So what, what this dude does is, is anyone that comes and tries to get their money out of the Wall Street market wallets that they've got as things are shutting down, what he does is he starts blackmailing these people. You're going to pay me $270, $280. It was 0 0.05 Bitcoin. You're going to pay me this much money or I'm going to report who you really are to law enforcement. So wow. Starts, not only that... But he starts extortion. Extortion. So he starts threatening the admins as well. I'm, I'll give them everything. Well, evidently the admins didn't believe him. So guess what he did? He gave them everything, which was basically the login that the uh, that law enforcement would need to mm. access the entire forums, message systems, and everything else. Jeez. So not only that, but it turns out that one of the admins. For Wall Street Market, he was accessing the Tor browser and Wall Street Market using a VPN connection. Well, here's the thing. When you're using a VPN connection, you can configure the damn thing so that if the VPN connection drops, all traffic stops at that point so that you're not exposed. Right. This, this idiot didn't do that. So his VPN connection drops. It exposes, oh. yep, it exposes his real, real IP number. <laughs> so, well i know yeah. that actually can happen with merchants too like they can identify that as well Absolutely. sometimes that happens <laughs> and that, that's one of the things if they don't configure it's, it well it's not just law enforcement right you've, you've got these guys <laughs> that are able to steal money and everything else and if if everything doesn't work if that opsec that operational security doesn't work if they don't really know what they're doing they're going to configure a vpn where it's going to you know when it drops it's going to keep the traffic alive so you see the real ip address they're going to download stuff that exposes the real ip address well that's exactly what happened here it's what happens on the merchant side as well the same thing goes on across the board needless to say law enforcement arrested three admins they've confiscated a boatload of money uh, so far i think it's like 24 million 12 12 million 24 million dollars worth of bit uh, worth of ca i'm sorry let me back backtrack they they confiscated $500,000 of cash they've also seized bitcoin and monero accounts they've not told how much that is but the only thing they've said is in the triple digit amounts now whether that triple digit is in triple digit bitcoins or in triple digit dollars who knows? But here's the thing. So we're looking at Alphabay last year. When Alphabay was shut down, they seized $24 million worth of Bitcoin. That was not all the Bitcoin that was on the site at that point. Estimates now have it at, at one point, it was over $700 million worth of Bitcoin. So wow. If, and if Wall Street market is bigger than Alphabay, which it looks like it is, we're looking at, you know, 500, 700 million worth of, of current value of Bitcoin and Monero together. So a huge, a huge operation, a huge amount of value and currency, and a huge amount of crime was being committed on this website. 
So there was a lot more than cybercrime happening, right? I would imagine the usual suspects like drugs and, you know, hitmen and all the other stuff ex- also existed on that marketplace. Or are these 1.1 million accounts all for fraud, like cybercrime no, no, no. So, and payment, so, right? So most of the time, so on any dark web marketplace, most of the users, most of the criminal users are drug buyers. Mm. All right. I would put, so if you're looking at 100,000 users, I would put an easy, an easy uh, 70,000 of those are, are drug buyers or drug mm. sellers. All right. So the, the amount of fraud or fraud-related items, you know, for a, for a website like Alpha Bay that had 240,000 members, I would say the actual number of fraudsters, 30 to 40,000. That's a hell okay. of a lot of that's a hell of a lot of fraudsters for one. Oh second. yeah, big time. <laughs> you know, it's like okay, so yeah, it's uh, and and like I said, the amount of money. So you've got the drug buyers there, you've got the drug sellers there. Hitmen, as far as I know, there's only been one real case of a hitman on the entire dark web that the guy actually went and killed the person. That that's one of the these these urban legends with the dark web. You know, we have hitmen on there. Sure, I'm sure you can find someone to kill someone if you want to look around, but the potential of, of a, someone doing that and finding law enforcement instead is much higher than finding mm. an actual hitman. That's um, good to know, actually. Because yeah. I, I mean, yeah. I, I, it's not just because of movies and TV and stuff. I know that that stuff exists. I just didn't sure. know, you know, how rampant it is or if it really is that... You know, it does sound like, though, that's the first thing that law enforcement pay attention to on the dark oh, yeah. web. It's, you know, I feel it's like payment fraud's like number 20. <laughs> right. You know, you certainly have weapons. You have fraudulent stuff. You have uh, yeah. uh, drug stuff. On marketplaces, You tend they tend to stay away from the uh, the more darker side of things, you know, with the human trafficking, the uh, child porn, the mm-hmm. hitmen, stuff like that. But any you get out of that and any other subject is pretty much fair game on these marketplaces is that why the wall street market was able to stay around for so many years like six years is that because they stayed away from that stuff or they just stayed under the radar like you know it's it's uh, alphabet wasn't around that long i mean six years is a long time for a dark web market especially it's a really long play for a cash out scam you're, you're absolutely right it's it's a huge amount of time and and what happens is is that so you and I, again, I, I hold I hold solid to that idea that a marketplace is set up to steal money. But what happens is is once that marketplace has enough users, guess what? The the admins are making a lot of money per transaction of all the accounts, uh, all the sales that are going on there. So they're making um, decent bank at that point. Um, so uh, so really, I at my this is just my their thinking, retirement fund. <laughs> right. Well, my my thinking is that they they lose track or they lose focus of what the initial plan was. So mm. let it go for six years instead of stealing the money, which let's be honest, if they would have let the damn thing go for two to three years, shut things down, those three guys wouldn't be looking at life in prison now. Hmm. So yeah. that's, that's one of the things, but that's, that's what, typically that's what happens with criminals is, you know, you, you start stealing money. It happened with me. You start stealing money. You forget the value of money. You forget your focus, your, 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 your main goals at the end, and you just keep stealing money. So these guys, I think it's probably the same thing. Hmm. Interesting. No, I think that's, it's fascinating to learn about. I mean, I think, you know, so now they're basically just going to scatter into another market, you think? Or do you think Absolutely. that there'll be, right. right. Oh, with, when, when Dream Market shut down, there were six new markets up within a week. Yep. I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. But it's, you know, it does, it's also a huge testament to, you know, these criminals need each other in order to succeed. And they know that either to buy, either to buy items, whether it's tutorials or, you know, fulls or credit card numbers or whatever it is, um, account details, you know, whatever it is. And also to share information with, hey, these guys are wide open or this is, you know, this is how you scam these guys or this is what you do for this company. It is just as important for us on the good side to be collaborating with each other. I'm going to be saying this till I'm blue in the freaking face, I think. <laughs> and But I am really grateful. Like over the last couple of weeks, I've had people from the issuing side reach out to me like, hey, how do we collaborate with merchants? I've had people, you know, from law enforcement, how do I collaborate with merchants? So I feel like we're getting somewhere. And I've I've got some thoughts in place for some new offerings in my business. And I, I hope that it can help along those lines as well. But whether it's my business or not, it's just somebody needs to get us all together. And I think that there, you know, we have to be strategic around a lot of things, but we have to keep working towards it. We just can't 
not do it. It's so important. And, you know, a point was made. I wasn't going to bring this up, but <laughs> a point was made on my LinkedIn last week, mentioned a new, well, it's not new, but a type of fraud that Emergent is experiencing. And I had all these, you know, replies of people and they were pretty general best practice stuff. You know, oh, we look at this, this is how we deal with that, you know, whatever. And somebody brought up the point and I thought it was a good point. Maybe you shouldn't be sharing this on a public forum if you don't want bad guys to find out what your tactics are. And my big brother came to my rescue for, you know, before I could and <laughs> stepped in and made a comment like, um, no, criminals know more than, you know, more than we, you know, you guys and everything. But, um, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't falter for thinking that or them for thinking that because I used to think that way as well. I used to hold information really close to the best because I didn't want them to know what was going on. But what I have learned since talking with you on this podcast and being your friend for, you know, almost two years is that they know more than we do about what we're doing for fraud. And hands down, they know specifics like nobody's business. Absolutely. They know exactly how to get through things. So if we are not talking about things because we're scared that the bad guys are going to find out, then we're losing because we don't, you know, because we're not able to find out what our neighbors are doing or where other people's blind spots are. And there are no companies that are perfect. And it's actually quite ironic, I think, to both of us that sometimes the companies that we hear saying, you know, I won't share because of this. And I'm not not just saying this person that, you know, posts on my LinkedIn. It's, it's a lot of people. It's a lot of companies who, you know, won't share at conferences or won't or, you know, don't think that forums are a good idea or whatever it is. They they hold their fraud practices so close to the vest. They're like, we're not sharing because we're so good. But you're the first person because you're on those dark web forums and even the surface web forums to know that they're getting hit too. So nobody's perfect. So if we all work together, we'll get better. And I mean, the bad guys work together. So we have to, too, whether it's through conferences, online forums, I do as much of that as I possibly can with merchants contacting me and saying, Hey, do you know anyone at this company? I mean, I did like four huge introductions just in a couple days last week. Granted, my bandwidth is getting pulled up more and more, but I help whenever I possibly can. With all that said, I think we really only have time to talk about one of the topics we were going to discuss after this. And I'm thinking, sure. I'm thinking it should be the last one we talked about. Do you agree? Let's go. Okay. <laughs> let's count. Cow let's cowboy up. <laughs> ah, ha, ha. All right. Says the man from the South. <laughs> so this came to me from one of our listeners and actually, we've had so many people reach out recently, like, oh, my gosh, we're starting to see this. So we're dealing with this. And so we actually had a list of things, but we'll talk about the other ones next week. So this is that more and more triangulation sites are popping up for retailers with physical goods. So as a reminder to people that may not have listened to our, you know, one of our first episodes on triangulation, this is an oldie buddy goodie. It's not really anything new, but it's we're seeing it happen more. So we wanted to call attention to it. There's one of two ways that I see triangulation happen. Either they're posting goods or services that a reputable merchant provides and because they've already hit that merchant and they've already bought all those things and now they have a surplus and they're selling them or they are advertising them and when an order is placed, then they're using somebody else's stolen credit card to make that purchase and shipping the item to the person that requested it from them. It used to be pretty active on marketplaces. eBay was, you know, a very common one, but their team has gotten really good at working with other merchants to be notified when there's postings of stolen products or, you know, items without their knowledge or their consent. And so because of that, now these guys are transitioning to full-on websites hosted by some of the biggest, you know, web servers. So last week I was able to introduce a very large retailer to um, one of the largest hosting companies so that they can work with them to take a site down, a couple sites down. What we're seeing now, what this merchant is seeing is, you know, a pretty decent looking website set up with items from all over the, the web, you know, from all different merchants. This particular website that they shared with me is called Rank Shops. And Brett and I talked about this and we were like, mm, I asked him, like, do we share it? Do we not? And he's like, absolutely, we share it. <laughs> yeah, um, of course, Brett said that. But no, I mean, I think... The reason is like it's not a reputable merchant. We're, we're throwing them under the bus because there are eight different ways that we can at least eight different ways that we can verify that it's not real. That's the first one. So it's spelled R-A-N-K-S-H-O-P-S. And it'll probably be taken down soon because, you know, I introduced them. But So, so you um, mean I need to go ahead and shop there while I can? 
<laughs> I wish you could hear me roll my eyes and glare at my microphone right now. Like, oh my gosh, no. What? But they've got really good bargains, man. They do have really good bargains. And you know what happens when you place an order from there? I they get the then product? use, well, possibly you do. Oh, God. But somebody, like, so the person behind this, this website then places an order with the merchant that the product is with. And all of the, all of the pictures are from the legitimate merchant's website. So these guys didn't have to take their own pictures or anything. They just, you know, downloaded all the pictures. There's like thousands of items. There's 750 pages of items. And yeah, and I can pretty much (laughs) identify a lot of the retailers that are on there. So if I do have time this week, I'll be reaching out. But hopefully, if I haven't reached out to you and you're a listener and you find your stuff, you're welcome because that's probably gonna be faster because I cannot go through 750 pages. <laughs> I volunteer. No, I'm time. sitting there seeing all kinds of goodies I would like, and I can't oh, go God. through 750 pages. I right? can't do it. Well, there's so there really are so many deals, but the thing is, is they're below cost. I mean, they're even cheaper than a merchant could provide because better, they're not using. <laughs> you're not helping your case, former cyber criminal. <sighs> So if you were to make a purchase and think, you know what, this can't be too good to be true. This is an awesome deal. I'm going to take advantage of this. Then what would happen is the person behind the site would, or the people behind the site would use stolen credit cards to make that purchase from the legitimate merchant, but have it shipped to your address. So you'd receive it in the box from the merchant and you'd be like, huh, this is kind of weird because I bought it from another company, but whatever, I got my product and I got it for way cheaper. Like in some cases, it's more than half off of what I would if I went to the original merchant. So we're good. Except if you need to make a refund or, you know, you want to trade in the product because chances are the chargeback will have come in by then. You know, I really want to give huge credit to the merchant who identified this because the way that they identified it is something that I preach a lot. Um, But I just feel like nobody listens. So I was like all excited and proud that I don't think they did it because I told them to. But I'm just excited that there are companies doing this because there are way more companies not doing it than doing it. And it was to basically reverse engineer the chargeback. So I know that there's a lot of companies that have too many chargebacks to go through. You hire them out to another company to go through, but you're missing out on a lot of the data. I've talked about that, you know, on the chargeback episode where you're missing out on looking at reporting and figuring out like why they're happening, but you're also missing out on the details. And one of the things that this merchant did is they called some of the customers, the people that received the items, you know, the billing and shipping didn't match, but that doesn't mean anything because, you know, that happens all the time, right? especially for this merchant, there's a lot of gifts that are given. So they called the the receivers and found out, oh, well, I placed orders on this site. Um, And by the way, it's not just this website. They identified several, but this is one of the largest and it's the one that they shared with me. But they wouldn't have known about this site. They wouldn't have known to contact me to contact the web hosting company to take it down if they weren't looking at their chargebacks and digging a little bit deeper to find out what is happening. What does this look like at the beginning so we can stop more? I cannot tell you how important that is for so many reasons, not just for fraud, for friendly fraud too. What are we doing in our system? What are we telling people? What are we providing? What do our terms of service not cover? All these different things that are leading to friendly fraud, just the same as hostile fraud. If you're not even looking at your chargebacks to dispute them, you're losing money on the table. If you're not looking at your chargebacks to learn how to, you know, fight fraud better, you're, you know, costing your company more losses in fraud because that's the missed fraud. That's the stuff you didn't catch. If you're not looking at your chargebacks to identify friendly fraud patterns and how they're happening to make changes at the front end, you're also losing money. So it's so important. And if you want to know more ways of like how to do it in an optimal way for streamlining, definitely reach out because that's what I do in my consulting business. It's just huge kudos to them. I think I said pretty much everything about this scheme on well, my I have a couple end, but I want you to, yeah, I want your take. Okay. So, so the questions I've got, so I'm on rank ships, rank shops right now, rankshops.com for any interested. Okay. So I'm here. So I find an item. And what have I got in my cart? I've got a Hillary and Scottsdale Contemporary California bookcase bed for $780. Which That's is normally, bargain. yeah, I'm I'm 90% sure I know who the retailer is that's right. featured first on the first page on all collections. And that's like 
a two three thousand dollar bed. Absolutely. So then I've got a uh, bookcase for one hundred fifty eight. So my total right now is nine hundred ninety two dollars. I'm at the uh, the paid thing. So you put it in the cart and you view cart and go to checkout. So I'm at the checkout screen. I've got a fake name in, entered in there and a fake address and everything else. Fake everything so it gets to the card number now my question is with this site so mm -hmm. what, what are they doing so you put your card number in then do they just use your card information since it's going to the correct billing address and everything and do they just use the card information to hit the main website that they're stealing the product from is that what no because then they're not making any money right, right. right. so no so they're basically using someone else's card for that purchase a okay, stolen so, card so they're using two credit they're they're harvesting someone else's credit card data on the webs on the order itself yeah, yeah it's yeah and i'm i'm unclear if these are you know cards that they've bought somewhere else and are using them for this purpose or if they're just recycling cards and okay so i i made a purchase for to them for nine hundred dollars they used your credit card to make that purchase with the legitimate merchant but then two weeks later they're going to use my credit card with Absolutely. another legitimate merchant and I'm just going to think that that merchant has my credit card. I'm not going to know that, oh, it's because I made a purchase from ring shops. I'm going to have no clue. It, it could be both. And the to me, the difference is how they're doing their credit card processing. Because if they're using a legitimate credit card processor, they actually don't have access to that card number when it's sent. Because it's usually tokenized and usually the, the, car, the merchant wouldn't have the full card number on their end. Right, but on, on the site is where they're going to catch the number. Like on the, when it's entered. Yeah, they could, they yeah. could totally, yeah, they, they could totally capture that, you know, if they wanted to, because they obviously don't have to play by PCI rules. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so good point on that, because I wasn't really thinking about that. They also could be, you know, credit card processing it themselves if they have an ISO license. They're really high tech. Chances are they have a fraudulent merchant account going to have, a, you know, but at the same time, they won't have a ton of chargebacks because the items are being received right and most customers are probably pr making purchases and have no idea that purchase wasn't made for the items they just think oh it was an even exchange and it was a really good deal the other things i'd mention is you know we did want to double and triple check that this was a fraudulent website before calling it out so and it does look pretty professional there's definitely a few things like you know there aren't tabs to sort different collections there's not certain things but if you look at the contact page and if you're not looking at the contact page i will tell you what it says so it has a picture of <laughs> a business card on it that says rank shops founder and ceo with no name and then the phone number on it starts with 555, which is kind of weird. And then below, though, in plain text, it has an email, which is just a generic like shop at rankshops.com or whatever. Their phone number is bogus. And the address goes to a WeWork in Portland, Oregon. It, it really, there's no way to actually contact the person. The about page is, is pretty much blank. It just says that they, you know, are creating a platform and, all this other stuff. What I didn't do is I, I didn't look to see when this site was created on who is, but I do see that it has a create date of 2019. Um, that. Right. Yeah. So when I tell people like I've had a few friends of friends or like my sister's best friend once contacted me before Christmas and was like, oh, my gosh, there's a Nike watch on a really good sale. But this website, I've never heard of it before. What do you think? It took me five seconds to look at the website and I was like, it's bogus. And that's the thing is that most of the time you can look at these websites and think this really like probably the average consumer would at least stop on their tracks and go, well, maybe this is too good to be true. Like my sister's friend did. The first thing I did is I went to who is and found out that the website had only been around for a month. And that gave me a pretty clear idea. Okay, that's my validation that this is fake. With these guys, they put a little more effort into it. I mean, heck, when I told you about it before we recorded, you were pretty darn impressed. Yeah, and, and you know, this is the thing. And you and I have discussed several different types of fraud over the past week that is basically just rehashes of existing types of fraud. Right. That, that's the only, and that's the only thing this is. This is triangulation fraud. The, the difference in this is that the criminals that, who are engaging in it, they have scaled it up. They, right. they understand, okay, we need to ramp up our game on this. But it's, it's still the exact same type of fraud that triangulation fraud has always been. Okay, and, and and that's the thing is, and so why does triangulation fraud happen? If you're one of these coffee makers, like a couple of years ago at Christmas, and your site is wide open, and that's how that happens. Your site is wide open. You're not taking the the initial or the the, the precautions that you need to take. And I understand there's a ton, and you, you, there's 750 pages here. 
of different products. There's a ton of different merchants that are being victimized on this type of fraud. But again, this is this is this is triangulation fraud. Yes, it's ramped up. If you're looking at the people who are who are doing the actual crime, I'm sure some of it is automated, some of it is manual entry as well. So you've got a mixture of both that's going on there. I mentioned to you before we started recording, talked to an FBI agent a few months ago. He was over in the Ukraine investigating a cybercrime business. And when I say a business, this group ran cybercrime as a business because that's what it is these days. Mm-hmm. It's a business it's, and it's, it's, it's its own economy as well. Well, this specific group, they had rented or leased an entire office building and they had 400 employees their entire job was cybercrime. They had a they had a department for CEO fraud, a department for triangulation fraud, all this other things that were going on at that time. Whether it be rideshare fraud, uh, the Airbnb type fraud, any number of things like that. That's one of the things that that continues to happen. We, we're continuing to see that migration to where people are, and it's always been like that though. People are partnering up. And they're learning from each other, and they're learning how to scale up the crime. Instead of worrying about stealing two to three thousand dollars a week or a day, how mm-hmm. do we steal three to four hundred thousand dollars a day or more? It's ridiculous, and you're absolutely right. There's been a few things that you know have come up for merchants that it's not new. But I think what happens is, I was like, oh, that's still going on. Because I think right. like you, we kind of as fraud professionals chase like the newest, latest trends, but we forget that a lot of these newest, latest trends are actually just rehashes of something that already existed. Right. Um, so what are they doing differently to adapt to what you put in place? I would say if you're, you know, the first thing to do is obviously to look and see if any of the items that you sell are in here, you can search. I will say that, you know, unless you, unless you're selling branded products that only your company sells, you may not be able, you know, or like store brand stuff, you may not be able to identify, okay, they're, they're purchasing this from our website. There are definitely a lot of name brands on here that are, you know, sold at multiple companies. One of the ways to identify it, obviously, is billing and shipping not matching. The problem is that or billing and shipping match, but AVS doesn't work, you know, isn't run. That's really hard because that's a lot of orders. There's a lot more orders to sift through than than would be all fraud. Absolutely. But looking at other things, you know, looking at do they, are they, do they have the same IP address, the same device? Are there other little things? Fraudsters are creatures of habit. So a lot of times their passwords will have a similar pattern. One time we identified we had a fraudster. The only way we knew that all of this these orders attributed to one fraudster was because all the passwords were named after bodies of water <laughs> and had three numbers afterwards. Like if you start thinking outside the box and you're like, okay, what is consistent in all this? What do they all have in common? You'll find something. This is not the only website. They're popping up all over the place. I'm working with a few web hosting companies to inform them when I find out I'm only one person. A lot of this stuff I do just kind of out of the goodness of my heart for the industry because I do think it's important and I will keep doing that. I now have a business coach who tells me I need to stop doing things for free. So (laughs) sorry, guys. I have to figure something out how to how to appease, like make her happy because she will kick my butt. I intentionally hired a butt <laughs> kicker because I need one. Brett knows that all too well. Also, I know that I need to keep doing that. So I, that doesn't mean I'm going to stop doing it. It just means I have to prioritize my time a little bit differently. Just know that. Doing the best we can over here. But I do think it's important to be aware that this stuff is still happening. The other fraud tactics we'll talk about next week are also still have. They're all things that, you know, yeah, were big 10 years ago and now they're coming back because honestly, they've, I think a lot of it is they've learned that high tech stuff isn't going to work anymore because merchants are pretty heavily armed now with, you know, the various third party tools as well as their own processes and, you know, team structures and everything else that instead of fraudsters continually upping their game with technology, they're actually kind of like dumbing it down, like through call center fraud and going back to triangulation because it works going back to some of these other stuff. So it's important to know that it's kind of cyclical and what goes around comes around. It'll come back around. I mean, I'd say 90% of the fraud trends I tell you about that I've heard from merchants, you're like, Oh, that's just a variation of what I did back in 2003. I mean, almost all the time. There is literally nothing new under the sun. It's it's all stuff that is existing or has been done before. And that's from merchant level all the way up through the high tech cybersecurity levels that were that people are being hit on. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. I mean, ninety percent of every single attack 
happens with a known exporter. They involve known exploits. It's the same for the merchant level all the way up to the top of the heap. It's the same across the board. And, and we have to get to the point where we understand that. It's not just the stuff that's new. This is this idea of zero-day attacks, that's garbage. It's mm. garbage. You worry about the stuff that you know about that you're not doing anything about. Or you you used to do something about, and now you've stopped because you've moved on to a new fraud product mm. or anything that, else like that. That reminds me. Yeah, I think I, I might have mentioned this on the podcast before and maybe or at least to you. There was a large merchant a few months ago who said, you know, we're really starting to see this type of fraud kick up. And it's weird because we never had that problem until we switched fraud tools. Well, I just happened to be friends with the former head of fraud. And so I mentioned to him, like, hey, did you ever have this type? Like, randomly, he had no idea why I was asking. (laughs) I just, I'm very random. And most people don't, like, God bless the people that respond to my random text messages. Kevin Lee is, like, the unfortunate victim of that (laughs) half the time. Where I'm like, they're kind of cryptic. But he, he knows enough to know, like, okay, I'll give her a call. And it's usually pretty good stuff. But it's like, I don't know, it's just who I am. I don't want to give all of it away, but it's not like I'm trying to be like messing with people. It's just like, eh, you don't always know why I'm asking, but it's important. So I text messaged him, I think on like a Sunday and I was like, Hey, out of curiosity, did you guys ever see this type of fraud when you were at X merchant? And he's like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. All the time. But he's like, we wrote rules for it in our system. So we stopped seeing it. And I was like, Oh, what kind of rules did you write? And he told me, and I was like, sweet. And I think he probably thought I was asking for like another type of merchant <laughs> like that that was experiencing the same nope. thing. No, I went back to the person who took his job after he quit and said, hey, I actually believe that you had rules in place on your previous system that were stopping a fraud that you guys got five years ago. When you switched fraud tools, you didn't have those legacy rules in there. And it took the fraudsters less than a week to figure it out. Um, They're always, always checking your thresholds, always. And so if you leave that that side door cracked because you moved into a new house and you didn't know to shut it, they're going to come in real fast. It was I mean, I knew that, but it was a crazy, crazy example of that. And I don't So now I, I think secrets out because <laughs> at least the, at least the new guy, I think I know, listens to the podcast. But, well, you I know, guess- you, you mentioned this stuff. So, so, you know, we've talked about four or five different trends over the past week. Mm-hmm. And usually my response has been this this response of boredom. Oh, really? Yeah, <laughs> you know, and uh, I hate to be like that, but it's like, okay, I, I was in doing this this kind of stuff a decade or longer ago, and I've seen it sprinkled throughout the years, off and on at different companies. So, and it, it's always that. I mean, you, it, it's the company as okay. We used to experience this type of fraud. We're not experiencing it anymore. We don't have to worry about it. Huh. That's not the way criminals operate. Right? No. I think that's super important for people to realize. Like, I think that we give them way too much credit than they deserve. And you've been saying that when you speak all the time. Right. Like, it's not rocket science. But we do give them more credit than it's worth, than they're, you know, and then they deserve because they're usually recycling somebody else's old, you know, fraud tactic or something else. And they are reinventing it in a way. Or they're stepping up their game and doing it in a bigger scale or whatever it is. They're doing it just a tiny bit different. It's not, you know, new and shiny. And I think that, you know, it's funny because there's been a lot of topics that I'm like, eh, I don't think people really care about. And in this case, when I've sent you a few this week, you're like, eh, that's not new. (laughs) And I'm like, but it is because it is, but it isn't. But maybe the people that, you know, like there's a lot of new fraud fighters that weren't fighting fraud 10 years ago. Well, and that's that's one of the things, too, that I've that I've noticed. And I was actually talking to um, a federal prosecutor and a couple of other guys over the past week. And, you know, we said the same thing as these these new people that are that are coming into the field. They just don't have the history and the legacy. They, they don't. They don't have that that experience that comes with being there for all these years throughout. So you see this entire arc. They see their current picture. but They're not realizing, well, this fraud was happening back with whether it be Western Union or whatever website it was that was being hit. This exact same type of fraud was happening. You know, the tools are a little bit better now that criminals are using. They're sharing information better now than they did then. 
So, and, and if you don't have that overall picture, and that's one of the big, good things about our podcast is we try, we try to give that overall picture to people, but you're absolutely right. I mean, just cause it's boring to me, it doesn't mean, <laughs> it doesn't mean that, that there's somebody out there is like, what the hell you mean? Boring gift cards are boring. No, it's not boring. I no, was going to say they're like boring. drowning in it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sitting there going gift cards. Hell, that is so 2003. <laughs> God. Yeah. Yeah, that, there's a topic around gift cards that came up on my LinkedIn last week. If you want to take a look ahead of time, we'll talk about it on the next episode. I know we're creeping up on time, as you always. Know how bad it was, and, and we are creeping up on time, but it was so bad. I read, I was reading the article, and I was cursing under my breath as I read the article. I was saying to myself, why am I reading this? I can tell your irritation <laughs> through a text message. And I was like... Well, there are some really, really big companies right now that are facing this and they don't know what to do. So don't like, you know, if you tell them, I mean, just a little pro tip from somebody consulting for a couple of years longer. If you tell a merchant like and they're like, oh, my gosh, we're being eaten alive by this type of fraud. And you're like, that's nothing. They're not exactly going to want to hire you. They're going to be like, well, thanks a lot because we're struggling with it. Like, you're so I have to, them. I have to learn some more empathy. Like, oh, I understand. I understand. Yes. Yes. Not, yes. You know, hey, this is so, so 2003. Yes. Half the time, my clients, I'm like, why are you? How are you? Oh, okay. That's interesting. You know, like what in, in the back of my head, I'm like, what? Why would you do that? How would you do that? Or like, what yep. What are you thinking? And then, but what comes out of my mouth is, oh, wow. Okay. Well, you know, tell me more about that. <laughs> like I'm a therapist. <laughs> but, and I mean, that's not to say that like to any of my clients that are listening. That I've done I would be a horrible therapist. <laughs> <laughs> You're done. You're done. Unfortunately, both of my parents were therapists at one point in my life. So I'm screwed. Yeah. I think that, yeah, like a little bit of empathy, like, just because I when I have figured it. something out doesn't mean that everyone else should because we have a very unique set of knowledge because of our different paths than a lot of people do. I mean, I'm very yeah. lucky that I grew up in my career the same time fraud was growing up. I mean, I've been in it 15 years. There's so much that's happened. And there's a lot. Of, there are several people that have been in it for longer than me. I mean, not a ton, but there's a few. I'm yeah. like, yeah. damn, 1996? Really? Like, there's, <laughs> you know, it's way different. Type, like, there wasn't even online fraud at that point. But you know, different. It's, it's really important, I think, to remember that because there's have been times when I'm like, Oh, my gosh, you know, when I was back in credit card processing risk, one of my merchants experienced that like, I totally know, you know, what, what you're experiencing, or, you know, what to do. And I would say too, like every merch, every company's on a different path, they have different set of tools, different set of knowledge, you know, their management has a different set of experiences, they're, you know, they have different resources, like everybody's on a different path at a different time. It makes it really hard to have anything be uniform and structured in this industry. It's also good to just have that knowledge, like just because one merchant figured something out or I figured something out and another company hasn't doesn't mean that that company is doing anything wrong. It just means there are so many different types of fraud that you're really only going to be dealing with whatever's hitting you in the face right now. And so if triangulation hasn't really ever hit you or before you were able to call up eBay and have them take down the site and now it's not as easy because they're actually hosted on, you know, website servers and all this other, you know, web hosting stuff. That's what we need to do. Like, so I think maybe what we should say is they're not brand new tack threats or brand new methodology, but they are new approaches to them. They keep well, that's being true. And I, I will agree. We will, we will talk about gift cards. <laughs> And if you're experiencing gift card fraud, that doesn't mean that you're doing anything wrong, that there's like a magic silver bullet out there that should make you not experience it anymore. That's true. That's true. Brett's there is just, no silver bullet. Brett just has ADD <laughs> when it comes to fraud, and he just wants to talk about the next big thing. <laughs> yeah, there is no silver bullet. I mean, if you're getting hit, especially what we're going to talk about with that, I mean, geez. It's actually a lot. Yeah, there's not a ton that you can do. There's some process stuff that you can do. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, and that's the other thing they're going back to things that are really hard, like they're making it a little harder. So it's not easier by any means. The other thing I was just going to mention is that a lot of the products on that rank shop site are really expensive items normally. So I do think it's important for, you know, merchants to take a look, but also know this is not the only site out there. Maybe if you're a physical goods merchant and you think that some of your products are on sites like this, maybe you should do something like, I don't know 
have your fraud analyst take a look at some fraud chargebacks and figure out, really look at your reverse engineering it and figuring out why it happened. I'm not lying when I say you will learn so much. That's true. <laughs> and, you know, it's just, I, I'm sorry to the, the chargeback vendors out there, but they're really is no replacement for having that knowledge in-house. You definitely can hire another company to dispute chargebacks and then still do some root cause analysis stuff in-house. That would absolutely be a best practice if if that's how you want to do it. There's also at least two chargeback companies that have started providing their systems and consoles and resources for a faster way of responding to chargebacks. But it's still in-house disputing it and putting the documents together and doing the research. But it does cut the time in half. So, I mean, that's obviously best case scenario. I know that not everyone's in that place. You can just learn so much that you do, you have no idea what's happening. So I was very proud of them for that. And I just had to, <laughs> had to say it one more time. <laughs> we are out of time. That's not a surprise. <laughs> so I guess we'd better tell our listeners goodbye for the day. And we'll be back next week. <laughs> that sounds like a plan. All right. Well, that's it for episode today. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you've learned a lot. You know, we've got so many of these topics to cover to help protect you and your business from fraud, so please subscribe to the online broadcast to be alerted to when a new episode is out. Please tell your friends, rate and review wherever you can <laughs> to help more people listen and protect themselves against cybercrime. We're pretty proud of our five-star rating, guys, so thank you for that on iTunes. Also, we love hearing from you guys. It's just one of my favorite parts of the week. I know we're not always the best at getting back, but know that we read everything and we want to get back to you whenever we can. We love to know what you what you love about the podcast, how we can improve, what topics you want to hear us discuss. You can always find Online Frogcast on Facebook, on our website at www.onlinefrogcast.com or individually on LinkedIn. Until next time, stay informed, stay vigilant, and stay secure.